and horror hounds this is brett from dimension z joined as i am every week by greg of the dead how you doing man doing good how you doing not too bad um i hope that my friend's mother doesn't try to randomly murder me oh you were stretching for that one were you you were trying to find something <laughs> i was trying to think of something it's like i hope greg's mom doesn't try to murder me <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, was a, that was a stretch for that one <laughs> how you doing Good. How about you? Not bad. I'm excited to be back into the world of Italian horror. This time I am. Dude, so the last Argento movie we did was opera. Look, that episode's out there. Not very long ago, if you want to listen to it. I think it was a December episode. So, and I infamously was not a fan. Yeah, and I even remember liking it more than I did that last time I watched it. The last time I was like, oh yeah, like I like it a lot, but there's also... This movie also has parts where they, like, there's a long stretches of not too much going on, but at least there's fucking Goblin going on, so that really helps this movie. Oh, I, I like this movie a lot. This movie's really fun, and, like, the character moments, the characters are good enough that I love it still. It's not just, okay. So, yeah, no, I really like Deep Red, which I guess we should say that's what we're doing from 1975. Written and directed by Dario Argento. The profondo Rosso. <laughs> <laughs> and this is normally where we talk about the movie a little bit, but we know someone who can talk about it way better than us, our good friend Troy Howarth, who is on the Blu-ray commentary for this movie and has written a book, Murder by Design, The Unsane Cinema of Dario Argento. So we had him on. He's going to talk to us a little bit about it. Uh, All right, Troy, thanks for coming on. So, as I mentioned, Troy has done the commentary track on the Arrow release of Deep Red and has the book uh, about Dario Argento, Murder by Design, The Unsane Cinema. So, tell us about Deep Red and kind of your history with it. Well, um, I think Deep Red is the best film that he's ever made. Um, It's my favorite, at least. Um, It was kind of the attempt by him i think to really outdo himself in his earlier films after a small break doing um a a very different type of film and kind of coming back and really trying to reassert himself and and do i think really kind of the uh the giallo to end all jolly uh so to speak that that style of italian thriller that uh, he helped to popularize in the early 70s um i mean i was aware of the movie from the time i was just a little kid i can remember being um in the giant eagle um when they used to have vhs tapes for rent there and uh you know the the tape was sort of staring at me but it looked a little too scary for me back then so i didn't bother (laughs) with it um i didn't actually see it until the mid 90s when i really got hardcore into these movies and uh uh you know i had been a big fan of mario bava up until that time argento i was still kind of on the fence about i wasn't sure if he was really for me or not and um yeah this was the one that really did it for me you talked about that cover. Is Now, my history on this, yours is obviously much better. Was the cover that we saw back then the same as the one we see now, or is it different? Uh, the old, it was an HBO Thorny MI VHS, and it was, as I recall, um, I'm trying to remember. I think it was a picture of David Hemmings with the flashlight, but it also incorporated that, that famous image of the doll's head cut in half. Um that's what I recall anyway. It's been it's been a long time, but that's what I seem to recall looking down at me off the shelf. I always love when VHS like covers would do that. They were infamous for it, where it'd just be a random shot from the movie, mm-hmm. and they're like, this is what's going to sell the movie. This random guy, the, if you haven't seen the movie yet, you don't know who he is with a flashlight. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, it's, uh, there's, there's some strange ones. I mean, I, I remember covers that had absolutely nothing to do with the film. I mean, you would see a film that, you know, well, there's a movie called The Vampire Lovers, for example, a hammer film from the 70s. And uh, it has, you know, all these half naked men tied up in chains uh, being attacked by really busty vampire women. And yeah, there are there are busty vampire women in it, but that's that's about all. So, it kind of, you know, it's a bit of a cheat. And there, there were a lot of tapes that were like that. I mean, it's not just true of the tapes, too, even the, the, uh, the 
poster art back in the 70s sometimes was very, very misleading. The even worse than that is when you flip it over and there's a picture that spoils everything at the end. It's like you see the killer getting killed or exploding mm-hmm. or something. It's like, yeah, it's a cool shot, but you ruined it. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. I, I know I've, I can't off the top of my head recall any examples, but I know there were plenty of examples of that. Yeah. Um, especially mystery type films where, yeah, it, it, <laughs> It pretty much gives everything away. I mean, it, it's hard to believe that there would be a time, for example, um, where people didn't know how Psycho ended, for example. So they used to be careful with that, whereas now I don't think they worry so much because they figure, you know, everybody knows. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I remember plenty of tapes, in particular tapes like that, that were just, like, spoiler heavy. and uh, Or sometimes they would have pictures that weren't even from the movie. I mean, they'd have... Um, They'd have a picture of an actor that was in it, but it was from a completely different movie. So (laughs) all kinds of weird things. Oh, that still happens on Netflix where like the um, picture for Jason X is a picture from Jason Goes to Hell. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, really? It's like, I I just shout on my television. I'm like, how do you not know? Hire me. Well, I mean, there's a great, uh, and I say great with heavy irony, uh, uh, cover for a DVD release of a movie I'm very fond of from the 70s called Horror Express. And it stars uh, Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, and Telly Savalas. And it has it has a picture of Christopher Lee as Dracula, Peter Cushing as Doctor Who, and Telly Savalas, I think, as Kojak. And it's like, wow, you know, t- Dracula, Kojak, and Doctor Who got together to solve the mystery on the Horror Express. Needless to say, they don't look anything like that in the film. But, uh, you know, somebody was hired, somebody was paid to make that. That's what really makes me angry. (laughs) I'm so glad earlier you brought up the killer doll thing that is on the cover. And I'm a grown-ass man, and that scene still makes me jump every single time that thing comes rolling into the room. I jump, like, five feet in the air. And this isn't a diss on the movie, but we never really have any explanation, at least that I could tell on the doll, like, no, it makes Do you no know sense. any kind of reasoning behind it, or just because it's creepy? It's creepy. I, I think that's the thing about um, Jallo films. Jallo, Jallo, uh, for the benefit of those who don't understand the term, it, it's Italian for yellow, and it comes from the fact that there was an Italian publishing house called Mondadori in Italy that used to put out um, mur- murder mysteries uh, and also kind of pulp fiction in uh, in yellow uh, covers with yellow slip covers. And uh, so they became known as Jally. And, and these films that uh, Mario Bava started making back in the 60s and then Argento really popularized in the 70s, they're known as Jallo films. Um, and uh, the big problem that a lot of people have, especially people who are brought up on kind of classic murder mysteries where everything kind of makes sense at the end, is a lot of <laughs> Jally don't really always make sense. <laughs> That's... That's part of the charm, and that's part, and it's a deliberate thing. It's not sloppy, and it's not inept. It's just that I've always said that sometimes these films make emotional sense, but they may not make logical sense. You know, the characters will do things that normal human beings would not do, um, and that's that irks some people. And I mean, it's it's a it's a question of whether you're able to make that jump or not. If you can, you know, you're you're good. But if you can't, you have a difficult time. So, the scene in question, uh, of course, all throughout the film, we see this kind of uh, fetish objects of the killer, you know, things from a uh, from childhood, you know, traumatized childhood that's that's run throughout the film, and uh, this idea of this doll uh, being used to distract a victim so that the killer can effectively get the jump on him is really very very clever and it's brilliantly staged. But I mean, I, I've seen this movie. I I kid you not, I've probably seen it at least twenty twenty five times down through the years. And I have no idea how that doll is getting in, in there. Uh, it just looks really cool. And everybody remembers it. As a matter of fact, right now in Italy, in uh, Turin, I believe, uh, there's a museum exhibit of uh, Dario Argento films. And it has props. And one of the props they have over there is is that doll. I'd be terrified if I saw it in real life. I'd still run. Yes. Yeah, I almost always feel like they're a lot more just atmospheric and what feels right in that more than like what would 100% make sense. Yeah. I mean, it's, again, it's something that really, it irritates people. And I, the snobbier critics just kind of look at that and say, Oh, these, these movies are just inept. They're not inept. They, they are done very deliberately, you know, with a very specific effect in mind. And um, actually on the whole, I think deep red is one of the 
Jalo films that really does hold up in terms of a plot. It has a very clever plot. It has a really ingenious twist at the end. Um, and Argento plays it completely fair. I mean, it, it, everything's hidden in plain view. If you go back and look at it and sort of freeze frame things, it's like, oh, yep, it was right there. Um, so he's not really cheating. But uh, on the whole, and I think one of the reasons for that is he had a really great writer with him on this film named Bernardino Zapponi, who was well known at that time for writing films for Fellini. Uh, the great sort of art house uh, Italian director. So he really was able to bring a lot of, I think, cohesion to the script that sometimes isn't always there in Argento's films, but it definitely is with this one, I think. Earlier you brought up Psycho, and honestly, when I'm watching Deep Red, it almost has a Psycho-esque twist to me, at least when I'm watching it, because the whole beginning of the movie, you have this parapsychology presentation and everything. So I'm like, oh, we're going to be dealing with a lot of telekinesis, like that kind of stuff going on. And then, no, it's almost just, it could have been a farming convention or a Comic-Con or anything. It almost has nothing to do with the rest of it. And I think that's such a cool, like, paranormal element to throw in to be a nothing factor. And again, mean that as a good thing. Yeah. Like, it's such a twist when you're watching it. Yeah, I mean, he would include the paranormal aspect in a later film he did called Phenomena, which was released over here as Creepers. Um which is a, a pretty, you know, insane out there kind of a film. It's a giallo, but it's also kind of a supernatural horror film in a way. Um, but uh, yeah, the paranormal aspect is definitely, I mean, he was really interested in that idea of the psychic who um, kind of predicts their own murder. Um, so that was a good way of starting the film and kind of, it, kind of getting things off on a certain level. And then really in a way, as you say, kind of taking it into something that's a little bit more realistic. So it's not, it's not completely fantastical unless you, you know, have absolutely no belief in uh, things like the paranormal and so forth. I mean, I'm, I'm not really a believer in these things myself, but um, it, it does provide, I think, a nice hook to kind of get the audience pulled into the story. Definitely. Also, like you were kind of brought up, uh, Greg, kind of like subverting expectations. I don't know <laughs> if it um, was done a hundred percent on purpose, but towards the beginning, whenever the psychic's going on and on about like, Oh, I like feel the murder and whatnot. Like there's murder in this room. And then you see the person get up and leave. And I believe they mm -hmm. go into the bathroom. They go into yeah. the men's room mm -hmm. and they always talk about like, did you see that man in the trench coat walking away and whatnot? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was something he really liked to do. It was, um, Really something that went back to his very first film, Berber the Crystal Plumage, which uh, relies very heavily on the idea of a character seeing something and not interpreting it correctly. And uh, I, I, which I think is very, you know, in its own way is very credible and very realistic because you'll have that. If you have an accident scene or something and you have 10 people who witnessed it, you're going to get 10 different versions of what happened. Um, so in this case, there is this kind of, you know, it, it plays also, I think, into Italian culture at that time, which was also very sort of sexist and machismo, too, in a way, which is part of the film, really. I mean, the whole kind of battle of the sexes that goes on between David Hemmings and Daria Nicolodi throughout the film, uh, which is, is a lot of fun. But it, this assumption that, of course, well, a killer has to be a man, you know, naturally. I mean, who else? A, a, a woman, a mere woman couldn't do something like that. <laughs> uh, there's no way. So, yeah, that's that's a very clever way of subverting things. And very often... Not to give away too much for people who don't who haven't seen too many of his films, it's not unusual for it to turn out to be a woman, or or you know, or indeed, even if it's not a killer, uh, female, you know, a killer, it's also revolves around very strong female characters as well. You're bringing up like how they were always like, oh yeah, it's the um, especially with Gianna and Marcus mm -hmm. in it. Of I love the arm wrestling scene yeah. and it makes me laugh every single time because he's coming up with every single excuse to why he keeps losing elbow off the table it's a total <laughs> cheap yes um <laughs> i love david hemmings in this film uh he looks uh very much like paul mccartney <laughs> at this time. thank you i was gonna bring it up if you didn't <laughs> yeah he looks very at this time he looks very much like paul mccartney um later on if you have ever seen gladiator or gangs in new york you know you've seen him as an older man he, he became much larger he had very enormous eyebrows that jutted out uh quite far and uh was was no longer a attractive guy at all but he was uh he had been a big star back in the 60s and he still was into the 70s and so forth and went on to be a director um he's wonderful in this film i think he's uh but it's such an interesting character because 
he's a very ineffectual hero. I mean, he really doesn't do much. He he reacts to things, but he doesn't really accomplish much on his own. As a matter of fact, it's Gianna who literally pulls him out of the fire at one point. She's the one who saves yeah. him. Yeah, I love that scene of him trying to, like, break through the wall. And yeah. he just slowly falls down the house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you get a good goblin music going on there during it, so it's cool. Oh, Which yeah, helps no, so much. Music is wonderful, but... I mean, uh, the, the interplay between those two is really, I think, a big part of what makes it so special. And Dario Nicolodi, who plays Gianna, uh, she and Argento became an item for a long time after that. I mean, they were never married, but they uh, they were an item for a long time. They had a daughter named Asia who went on to become an actress. And um, this is the first time they'd worked together. So she would go on to actually co-write Suspiria with him and, and co-write Inferno. And she's in a few of his other films as well. I mean, they had a very... A contentious relationship. There was a lot of fighting and, and whatnot. It's uh, it wasn't a happy relationship in the long run. But at this time, they were happy, and I think some of that happiness comes across in the film because uh, there is a playful quality to a lot of that interplay. Which, as a matter of fact, I mean, this is a movie that exists in three distinct different edits. Uh, there's the original Italian version, which runs about two hours and seven minutes. There's an export edit, which runs about an hour and forty-five minutes. And then the American theatrical version, which ran about a little under 90 minutes. Um, but the original long Italian version has a lot of comic interplay between them, which was uh, the kind of stuff that they typically would cut out of these movies when they exported them because they figured, oh, nobody wants to watch that. But I, I think that's part of what gives the movie a, a great deal of character. I think I watched oh, the export edit then because I think that's what's on Shutter. Because if I remember right, it was an hour 45. Yes, yeah, probably it. Yeah. The, uh, the, the Italian version, the only problem with the Italian version is that uh, they never were able to dub the entire film because they decided early on that it had to be cut down for uh, English and, and American audiences and so forth. So some of the scenes were never dubbed into English, which can be a little awkward in different points. I like to watch the movie in English because David Hemmings has his own voice on the soundtrack. And I, again, I think his performance is so good. So I think it really benefits watching it that way. But it kind of shudders back and forth between Italian and English sometimes, which can be a little distracting when you're not used to it. But I'm used to it by now. I, I know the movie yeah. so well, it doesn't even really matter to me anymore. But uh, that's that's one way to be able to tell the difference. Oh, this is one whenever I want to be like a tiny bit snobby. I was like, oh, yes, I love Profondo Rosa, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Profondo Rosso, yes. <clears throat> well, in fact, Argeno even has a uh, store, uh, a sort of uh, a shop in Rome, there's a couple of them. I think there's one in Milan, but there's certainly one in, in uh, Rome, um, which he and another uh, director, Luigi Cozzi, uh, own and, and run uh, the Profondo Rosso store. Not only do they sell books and movies and all kinds of stuff there, but they also have a Dario Argento museum in the basement uh, where you can go and look at props from things like demons and uh, two evil eyes and all kinds of things like that. You mentioned about the culture earlier, and that brings me up to a question I was curious, and I figured you'd know. Uh, Carlo is yes. a gay character in this movie that came out in 75, mm -hmm. but isn't vilified, really, no. as that. Like, they don't use it as a punchline or anything no. like that, which a lot of media back then did. Was that out of the ordinary, or it how was, was that received? It was not completely. There were... A lot of Italian directors during this period were, were very left-leaning, and many of them were actually communists, um, no, that's not such a dirty word as many people in America would have you believe. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's somewhat misunderstood here. Very often, you know, anything that's kind of good for people is is decried as communism. But uh, oh, we know. Argento is a communist. Uh, he's he's always describing him as such, and uh, he's always been very progressive in his views and always tried to present gay characters uh, on screen. Um, he even in a movie called Tenebrae, he cast a, a transsexual actress um, to play a, uh, a particularly kind of sexy role in the film. And you wouldn't know that um, if you didn't know who she was. But, you know, that's that's one of those little kind of Easter eggs, I guess you could say, that uh, kind of adds a little bit of something to the movie if you're aware of it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he, he wanted to make before this, he wanted to make a giallo that involved that revolved around a gay character, a gay protagonist. But. He was talked out of that because that was just seen as you know too much uh, at the time. But there, there is um, you know in some other films as well, some of Lucio Fulci's films and some of uh, Umberto Lenzi's films and things like that. You'll have uh, gay characters or sometimes uh, transsexual or 
uh, transvestite or, or whatever characters who were presented rather uh, compassionately in a way that you wouldn't really expect at that time. It was nice to see because we watch a lot of old movies and that's not the norm a lot of times. No, no. I mean, it's not reduced into a punchline either. I mean, the closest he ever did that was really in Burr of the Crystal Plumage, where at one point the hero goes to interview this guy in an antique shop who's outrageously, like, you know, flaming. Uh, and, and that is presented as rather comical. But I don't think it's really mean-spirited in the film. Um, he did a movie earlier called Four Flies in Grey Velvet, where there's a uh, private investigator who's very openly gay. And he's just a wonderful character. I mean, he's so funny, and he's, I mean, he is stereotypical. He's very much depicted as kind of a sissy, but at the same time, he's uh, hes a very likable character. We feel a great deal of empathy for him. And the character in uh, Deep Red, of course, Carlo, um, is, is a homosexual who's trying to hide it from people, and there's this sense of sort of self-loathing and so forth. Um, but he has this, uh, that's an interesting thing, too, that he does. Again, he likes to sort of play around with gender and things like that. Carlo's um, boyfriend in the film is actually played by a woman. Um, they, they put on a kind of cheesy, uh, kind of, you know, uh, just barely there mustache. Um, I noticed the very thin mustache. Yeah. So that makes much more sense now. It's a woman. It's actually a woman. Okay. Just to, I did not know again, that. Yeah, just to kind of play around with uh, uh, perception and things like that a little bit. It's kind of a fun little touch. That's cool. Yeah. Well... We're running about out of time here for this segment, but you are definitely, I don't think it's a stretch to say, an expert on Argento. So where can people find some of your work and thoughts on Dario Argento? Oh, well, you mentioned my book, Murder by Design, which is available. You can get it through Amazon and uh, uh, all my other books. I mean, I've written a series of three books on Jallo films called So, so Deadly, So Perverse. That's also available through Amazon. Uh, it's kind of an encyclopedia of these films, uh, attempting to kind of come to grips with how many there are. And, you know, they're not all on the same level of deep red, I can assure you, but there, there are some great ones. Um, and I also did a, a lot of commentaries. You mentioned the one I did for deep red that's on the arrow, um, 4k release, a uh, bunch of things like that too. I mean, most anything you can find on Amazon, you know, uh, you can get a lot of stuff through there. Oh, Troy, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for so much for coming back on here today. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks. And I definitely still want to talk about Black Sunday one of these days because I love that movie so much. <laughs> oh, man, anytime. I'm always happy to talk about Mario Bava. Nice. That's Troy Howarth. I was super happy that he was wanted to come back on and whatnot. And like I just said, we got done talking. Like, I can't wait to do Black Sunday one day because I absolutely love that movie. <laughs> I've never seen Black Sunday, so I'm excited about this. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's always a great time having Troy on. He knows way more about... I feel like an idiot talking about this stuff with him sometimes, but... Oh, God. Like, I'm sitting there definitely the whole time of, like, don't fuck any... Uh, don't fuck up any names. Like, if you're gonna fuck up, don't <laughs> do it in front of this guy. Like, I, I promise I love this movie! <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he'd yell at you. No. I'll ask him. <laughs> so, you wanna get to the beat for beat of it all? Yes. Alright, so it starts with what I describe as the Christmas time shadow murders. <laughs> la 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 la. <laughs> Dude, look, two things about music: Goblin and their music is great. Yes, but that song gets stuck in my head way more than their stuff. They make it creepy. Oh, it's terrifying. Yeah, but what I mean by these murders is you don't see who it is, but you see a girl with like buckled shoes stab someone in the shadows and they fall over and die. Right. That's the opening. And then we cut to our parapsychology presentation and they introduce Helga Ullman and she's a telepath and she's doing a demonstration for the audience. And she does a really cool, like you one, this isn't a hard guess, but it's like you have keys in your pocket, <laughs> but she does describe the keys very perfectly, which is the difference maker. But man, if I was going to pretend to be a psychic, that's what I would do too. I would say that exact phrase. Yeah, and it's and it's. I love they definitely go right into the now, sir. Do you know this woman whatsoever? Because it's not like um, who's that? It was this uh, religious psychic that was on for years and years that conned all those people out of money because, like, he would set microphones up in the room and listen to them like, oh, I hope they talk about my dead grandma. And then he would listen to it and be like, okay, talk about her dead grandma. Oh, I have no idea, but that sounds about right. Yeah. But then she starts screaming and she goes, I can feel death in this room. There's a murderer. And we get a 
POV cam leaving the presentation. I always love all the Jalo point of view cams. Yeah, I love the point of view cams, and I also love like how like there psychic is screaming that there's a murderer in this room right now. I can feel <laughs> you, and you're gonna get up and make yourself like a like known like okay oh why is that person leaving? I wonder if it's because they're the killer. <laughs> it's like no, just stay seated, just like whistle, look around, like hmm. It's not like a packed house either. Like, they're only using the first, like, I'd say eight rows. That few people, if there's a murderer in this room, even if I was about to throw up, I would not stand up at that moment. No. (laughs) (laughs) But we get that our murderer in the bathroom putting the black gloves on. And look, I know it's cheesy and it's like... When all these killers have a uniform, I don't care. I love it. The black gloves are necessary. Oh, the black glove killer, like, that. that's a must for most Giala, like, movies. Of, like, it's the black glove killer with a really cool knife. Yeah. We get this shot of, like, a desk that we come back to every now and then. It's all the killer's things, I think, from past and all that. There's a bunch of jewelry, a voodoo doll, toys, knives, and we see the killer putting their eye makeup on. No face shot, just eyes. And this entire time, I love all the close-ups of all the little tiny trinkets. And this entire time, Goblin is just laying down like a fucking awesome bass line. Oh, yeah. It reminds me of the new Batman, how, <laughs> even if you haven't seen it in the trailers and everything, Batman's putting eye makeup on, which I guess they always do, but they never show it in any of the other movies. That's what's going on right here. Something in the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, Helga's in her apartment, or her flat, I don't remember which they call it here, uh, she hears a noise and goes to the door, it's the song, the la la la, that thing, and she's attacked with a meat cleaver. Yeah, and brutally too, it's not even, it's not like American movies, they're get hit with a meat cleaver and there might be some blood, but you're definitely not gonna show her shoulder split open like they do here. Like, every swing of this meat cleaver, it's like, tearing her open and it's showing it oh yeah and it's good effects too it holds yes. really good for 75 but they hold up well today and it's that excellent techno color blood that i love yes and then in my notes it says discount paul mccartney and that would be <laughs> mark's character the character of mark um he's walking and he sees his drunk friend carlo sitting on the sidewalk they're both pianists so they're talking about why they play and whatnot and then Mark hears the scream, thinks nothing of it, Carlo leaves, and then Mark looks up and sees Helga being attacked in the window, and when I say that, this is wild. Yeah, like, literally, like, he sees her in the window screaming, and then he sees the meat cleaver, it hits her, she breaks through, well, a dummy that looks a lot like her breaks through the window, and, like, gets basically guillotined on the neck, where she just, like, gets stabbed with the window. (laughs) Oh, definitely. It's really cool, and, like, it's the pane of glass that goes through, like, her neck and everything is really neat. I like it a lot. Yeah, very much so. And we also, like, because this is important later in the movie, that Marcus and Carlo have just, like, 20 seconds beforehand, like, split ways, where Marco, yeah. Carlo's going to go uh, drink more, and this is when Marcus looks up. Very important later. Uh, he's being questioned by the police, says he saw a man in a brown raincoat, and then Gianna, Gianni, Gianni, right? Uh, yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> well, which is it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't think they, it wrong the whole time. They barely say her name. I'm going to say Gianna. They, they start saying her name a lot, because then I corrected it in my notes. Okay. Which, which is it here? Gianni. Gianni, Gianni. okay. I haven't written both. <laughs> okay, but... <laughs> But she shows up, and she's a reporter, and she's asking all these questions, and Marcus thinks a painting went missing from the apartment. I don't... Oh, because when he walked in originally, and then when he's walking around, so someone stole it. This is really cool, actually, the way this pays off later, because I think it's a nothing, like, I put it out of my mind pretty quick. Yeah, exactly. The first time you see this movie, you're watching it, and you don't even really probably register that the killer is shown within the first ten minutes of the movie. Yeah, 
It's you would have to like I think Troy said you'd have to pause or freeze frame it, but you could. Oh, it's extremely and because I've seen this movie so many times, I know like where to look. And even then, it's like very quick. Yeah. Uh, Marcus and Gian are at the funeral for Helga, and they leave in a near broken tiny car that's Gianna's. And I love this car. This is basically like it. This is my car. It's like, I just don't give a shit. My car's a lot nicer than this, but I could see this being my car in like 10 years. Cause like, I don't take care of it whatsoever. So it's just like, Oh yeah, don't touch that. That breaks. Like you can't <laughs> lock the doors. Actually, this is my old Camry that I had that you couldn't lock the doors in and the handles didn't work. So you didn't have speakers in, so you were driving around with headphones all the time? <laughs> yeah, my speakers didn't work, so I had to wear headphones, and then I got pulled over because I had headphones in. <laughs> Here's another thing. Marcus and Gianna act like they're the police this whole time. They're not. Marcus is a, just a piano man, <laughs> and Gianna's a reporter. And they're interviewing, like, getting audiences with all these people, and, like, taking notes, and checking out crime scenes, and... You never get the police telling them, hey, you stopped that. In fact, they're, like, reporting their findings to the cops and everything. It's literally from the Blues Brothers of, are you two cops? No, ma'am. We're musicians. <laughs> yeah, that's literally half of them are. But, yeah, I love that, like, yeah, th these two are so much better than these cops. Because the cops just show up to whatever crime scene and, like, I guess write down a few notes Leave blood everywhere, I guess. Like, even fingerprints and stuff. And just like, oh, the old maid will clean it up or whatever. These two, this <laughs> pianist and reporter, are like the dream team. Yeah. They're interviewing the parapsychology presenters, and they're asking questions. And one of them mentions they saw someone get up. That's right. And they're just remembering now. And they're back at Marcus's apartment discussing everything. And it's a really, like, nervous discussion. Like, he's all worried and everything. And then we get the, women are weaker, gentler. And so she challenges to an arm wrestling match to show that they are not. And she beats him twice, and he won't admit it. He just keeps making up excuse after excuse. I love how he's like, no, you, you went before I said go. You cheated. Now, don't go until I say go. And then even the second time, they're like, hold, they're holding each other's own kind of thing. They're like pretty evenly matched. And then she wins again. And he's like, no, your elbow came off the table. Like, you're still cheating. He's like, okay, whatever you need to tell your fragile male ego. Like, <laughs> Maybe we'll have a Throbby category for best arm wrestling match this year. Because we had it in the fly just recently. We got yeah. it here. Yeah, if we maybe get like one more at least, that would be great. Yeah. So Mark decides he's going to go see Carlo. He goes to his house. And Carlo's not there. It's just his mother. And... This lady is hilarious at this point, because she keeps calling him an engineer, like, no, I'm a pianist. And she goes, oh, well, it must be nice being an engineer. I am not an engineer. I am a pianist. He even makes, like, a little hand motion, I think. And she's like, oh, that must be hard work, being both a musician and an engineer. I love even later, like, he calls her, and she's like, oh, the engineer. And he, like, sighs. He's like, no, it's the pianist. <laughs> yeah, but, but I have a question for you. Because I may have an answer. Uh, spoilers for the movie is she's the killer. <laughs> the Carlos Correct. mother is the killer. Um, yes. Do you think she's playing kind of dumb and annoying here? Just to, like if I'm super annoying, he will leave because she. One hundred percent. It's in the paper of like this man saw the killer, and it's his picture all over the place. So that's what I picked up on too. Of like. She's just be, being way over the top. To, so, of course, he's going to be like, okay, yeah, no, no, I'm just going to leave. I just need to see Carlo. Okay, yeah, bye. <laughs> yeah, it's, to compare it to a really weird movie I didn't think I would compare it to, you remember Tusk? Yeah. Uh, yeah the it's... scene with Gila Point interviewing uh, Howard, and like he's acting like an annoying simpleton, just get him out of there? That's you, exactly what this is. Are you here to kill the spider and the skitter? Yeah, that's exactly what's going on here. I, I think Deep Red did it first, not positive. Maybe. <laughs> but he leaves, and he goes to the address that his mother gave him, and this is where it's revealed that he's gay, he's with his boyfriend, who I was not aware is actually played by a woman. Well done, Argento. Like, I legitimately did not know. Yeah, well done, Argento, and thank you, Troy, for the piece of trivia that I didn't know. After, like, I've seen this movie probably, like, 
six or seven times. Never knew that. I have seen this movie twice, and I didn't know that. Yeah. Mark's playing piano at home. Oh, well, the whole Carlo thing. It's revealed he's gay. Mark, for a 70s movie, like, is 100% fine with it. He seems shocked to learn it, but then it's a whatever. They walk around, they're like, hey, did you see the person in the brown coat? He says something like, oh, I think so, but doesn't give him a solid answer, and that's the end of that. Yeah, exactly, because... It's a uh, well. It's definitely it's made aware later why, but and I also kind of like what Carlo's doing this whole time. And this scene makes a lot more sense later when you kind of get what's going on. Exactly. This is one of those scenes that, if not for the ending, would seem so weird and out of left field. And even when I'm watching it, like I'm like, what's this about? And then like when it all comes together, like oh okay. Oh yeah, like Carlo's partner is like, I don't know, he's just all out of sorts, he seems sick, and he Carlo's just sitting there just wasted on the bed. Yeah, because his mom's on a murder spree. Yeah. <laughs> I guess he's known the whole time? Mother, mother, why? Blood, blood! <laughs> <laughs> Where are we at? Oh, Mark's at home, he's playing piano, and someone is on the roof, and we hear the tiny music box that well, we will hear many times throughout the movie, he goes back to playing piano and the killer enters his apartment. This I like, and it's such a cool tension building scene because Mark knows he's in there, but continues playing so that way it doesn't seem like he knows he's there. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. really nervous. And I think this is actually genius. I love that he has to do something and sound flawlessly like it's not going on when his hands have to be trembling like crazy. It's just a really cool set piece, I guess. And it also makes me think because when... Uh, Mark went over to Carlos's mom looking for Carlos. Uh, right? Is that Carlo? Sorry. Um, Carlo. She mentions something about like, oh, yes, I also love to play piano. So I wonder if there's any part of her like creeping around the house and can tell like, oh, he's playing differently. Because there's definitely times where like, doesn't he see a shadow? Then it stops and stuff. When he stops playing he stops moving yeah. because he's trying to sneak in. Yeah. Well, she stops moving, I guess. Right. Spoilers. But yeah, I like, uh, like you said, I love that tension building of it, of like, he's like, I gotta keep playing to make it seem like, I don't know. Yeah. But the phone rings and he's like, this is it. So he jumps and slams the door shut, like right before the killer gets in and the killer goes after he locks the door, the killer's on the other side. This time you're safe. I'll kill you anyway, sooner or later. Terrifying. Haunting. Like, I know who you are. I've already gotten into your house once without you knowing until I was already inside. Like. Yeah. He doesn't call the police either. I don't (laughs) Probably because he knows how useless they are in this movie. Oh, yeah. It's Gianna on the phone is who called. And I think they actually set Gianna up as like a possible killer a couple times throughout this movie. Yeah, especially like later when she, uh, he gets pulled out of the house by her because she disappears for like a little bit of the movie, and then you're like, oh, she's just randomly showed up again. That was my big one, and there's like a little bit at the school where I'm wondering, I'm like, wait a second, like where they split up. I'm like, she's yeah. gonna kill him, but well done. Like anytime you can give me that red herring, they identify the song, and they're talking to the parapsychology guys again, and I don't really know how we get to this conclusion, but. They give Gianna the name Amanda Rigetti, who might have lived in this original house where the murders happened. I won't lie, get lost about how they get to this. It's really, really weird where they're talking, and then the one guy mentions a book that he read once a long time ago about a, uh, a house that had a screaming boy in it, and it had music that sounded like this. I don't remember oh, exactly okay. what the book was, but the book's in this library. So now Marcus has to go to the library and find the book and read down through and find the picture of the house. And It's a lot of side quests. Yeah, it's a lot of side quests that could be very boring. But as soon as it, you're like, oh, this might get boring, Goblin kicks in with like a fucking organ solo and you're like, rah! <laughs> Like I said, too, like, the Mark and Gianna stuff so charming and fun that I don't get bored too much during the side quest moments. Yeah, they're, it's, they're, it's very well acted, and they're so good in it, like you said. It doesn't take you out, and they actually have good chemistry. Yeah. We get more desk shots of all the creepy things on the desk, and this Amanda Rigetti, she's at home, her 
old lady, like, housekeeper leaves. She goes inside and finds a hanging baby doll, like, from a noose. Yes, which is another, it's like another baby, and it's a one of the dolls that show up in the movie. But there's, like, you walk in your house and you see that. You don't, and she tries to run out of the house, but like she missed the bus, I guess. So she's like, "Okay, I guess I'll go back and murder house." I'd be like, "No, I'm I just think gonna... she's running out for the housekeeper. I don't think she pulled out yet, and she ran out for her, and she already drove away. I don't think she had okay. a car or something." Because I would just be like, "I'm just gonna walk down the road now. I'm not gonna just stay here. Like somebody is obviously inside my house." Yeah, I'd be just running down the road across a field, whatever it takes, but. She's in there, and what is it? The lights go out, and then the song starts, and she says, the ghost of that house, so she knows what's up. I also love, like, all the lights go out, and her first instinct is to go to a lamp to try to turn it on, like, that's gonna save her. (laughs) I didn't even think about that, but yes. Like, ah! Oh, I need light! (laughs) She gets her knitting needles out as a weapon, and a bird flies right into it and dies yeah just a weird like surreal moment that you only really get in italian movies but it's really weird and like kind of just makes no sense but i'm like okay sure it looks cool yeah she's attacked and her head is slammed up against the bathroom wall and then he turns on the hot water and i see this person has done what i've done with my hot water heater where I went down and <laughs> took out that stupid little safety thing and let it go very hot. Yes. Like, past the recommended levels. And he pours this, like, steaming hot water and dunks her head in it. And when it shows her again, she's all blistered and boiled up and everything. Like, pretty good, like, makeup, too. Very Halloween, too. Yeah, definitely. Um, as she's dying, the tiles on the bathroom wall are all steamed up, and she's writing something on it. It doesn't show us, and then she dies. Yeah, which, that it's another um, great little, like, Easter egg. Not an Easter egg, that's not the right word for it. But a little, like, ooh, that's a great little thing they put in there of the hot water. There's, like, randomly a wall of mirrors. So I guess this lady is, like, either she had, her and her boyfriend have a lot of fun in that <laughs> bathroom or something. Or she's that's just like, oh, I can do my hair really well anywhere I'm at. It's either really perverted or just like, oh, I like mirrors. Yeah. But I love the fog, like the hot water makes them fog, and then she writes in it, because everybody's done that. Yeah, definitely. I still do it today whenever, like, I'm driving around in the car and, like, the window will start fogging up. I'll start, like, drawing on it, and Liz tells me to stop. I don't anymore, because then when it's gone, you have these little smudgy stains on it, and then I can't see up my window. Oh, yeah, true. Uh, Mark shows up later that night and finds the body. Again, he's just the greatest police officer that's not a police officer. And then (laughs) he starts searching for this plant that's tied to the killer somehow. Once again, he shows up to the crime scene. This is two crime scenes now that he's been at. This one, he doesn't even report. He just shows up and then leaves. (laughs) And takes off. (laughs) It's just like, uh, they're going to start thinking you're the killer, Marcus. Even the part, the fact that you were at the very first crime scene, you're already a suspect. Now you're at two crime scenes. Yeah. So what's up with this plant that he's searching for now? Yeah, it's what well, he sees the picture in the book that he rips out of the book and runs away out of the library. And I guess he notices what kind of plant is outside this house because it's a really rare one for the area. So he starts going to, are they botanists? Is that the right word? Florist, botanist, yeah. Where he's like, oh, do you know this plant? Like, you would go around and like, do you know this person? Yeah. It's just like your typical, like, CSI thing. Go to the bartender who won't stop wiping his glass. Have you seen this person before? <laughs> yeah, he was in here last week. I never saw him <laughs> before, but he had a gray beard. He had, you know, blue eyes. He had a small scar on his face. Like, all these weird details. But yeah. I, I barely saw him. <laughs> I know this plant. I sold this one ten years ago. Yeah, but that's all. But he actually doesn't get any luck with the plant, but he just happens to see it in front of the house. And then he goes, finds the house. It's for sale. The old owner, Schwartz, mysteriously died. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, and who's this guy that now has the keys to the house? Is that just the caretaker, or is that the new owner? I think he's trying to sell it, because the house is for sale. So 
somehow like he's the owner of it. Well, could you imagine like him or he sells houses? I don't know. You're selling your house or you're trying to sell like this house that you own. And some random guy is like, hi, I'm a pianist. I would like to go inside this house for multiple hours all alone. Sure. Like, <laughs> like eight hours, I swear, he spends in there. And we're not going to follow you in there to make sure you're not breaking anything up because ob- he does multiple times. He about <laughs> half destroys this house with his own body later. We'll get there. He does. The house gets destroyed because of him. But, okay, the one of the parapsychology guys, what's his name? I don't remember. But is interviewing Amanda Rigetti's housekeeper. And he's looking around, he sees that she's pointing at the wall, he turns the hot water on, and we see it was, and then he leaves. And it takes him way too long to put two and two together of, hmm, steam makes windows steamy. And then you can write (laughs) in the steam, but what can make steam? Hot water! (laughs) It does take a while to get there, but he gets there. Um, this is really hard. I better go have a donut and a coffee. I'm not exactly sure what's going on. Oh, it's fine. He's not even a cop. He's not a cop either. Oh, he's not? <laughs> no, he's one of the parapsychology guys. Okay, because I never exactly put together who he was. Yeah, he's one of the guys like that was giving Helga's presentation <laughs> at the beginning. So everybody is working on this case except for the police. They just have to exactly. show up and like take the body away. That's their job. <laughs> yes. So the house guy, the guy who's selling the house, sends his daughter with Mark to see the house. His daughter's name is Olga. And he's like, hey, come here, to the girl right before. Yeah. She goes back. He just slaps the ever-loving hell out of her face. I'm like, what the fuck? He goes, I told you to stop doing that. I'm like, I'm very confused. And then we see a lizard writhing around on the ground with a sewing needle shoved through it. This is like a little future serial killer in the making, just randomly in here. Yeah, I love, like, the first time I saw this, I'm like, because he's like, okay, take her, take him to the house, daughter. She takes, like, four steps away, and he's like, you, get back here. And then, like you said, he, like, slaps her, and then I'm like, what happened within the four steps that made him so mad? <laughs> but then, like you said, like you looked at, they pan down, there's like a dying lizard. And then she just goes like, because Marcus is like, are you okay? Like what happened? And she's just like, oh no, daddy's just crazy. Yeah. She just blows it off. But Mark's searching the house and he sees like plaster, like covering something up on the wall. And so he starts chipping away at it, like Shawshank Redemption style. <laughs> and it's revealed of a painting of a kid with a knife stabbing someone. And he doesn't think to clear any more away. Nope, this is the full picture. Because as he is leaving, glass falls on him. This place is falling apart. And a piece of the plaster also falls, which is actually a cool reveal for it. I like it a lot. To reveal the third person in the picture. Yeah, I agree with you of the thing of like, why would you not expand on it a little bit more just to see? But I also love the reveal of just like, he's leaves. If he had stayed like five seconds more, he would have seen that. But it's just the perfect timing of like, ah, you almost caught it. Hey, pro tip to anyone out there about to commit a murder. If you commit a murder in your home, don't draw a mural of it on the wall. La, 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 la. But um, our parapsychology guy from before who found the it was on the bathroom wall is at home and he hears a noise. He stops, looks up, and this is the most terrifying fucking thing in the world, Brett. I watch so many horror movies, I barely ever jump or get scared or anything. This toy that comes rolling in made me jump so high when I was watching this. And it does it the first time I saw it, I forgot and it happened again. I watched some behind the scenes on this movie, like a little bit that I found on YouTube. And I saw someone explain this perfectly of the entire time. The shot is focused right in the middle of the screen because there's that opening. There's like a window. You're thinking they're going to come through that. Out of nowhere, this fucking dummy comes out of your the right side of your like peripheral. And you're like, it is. It catches you off guard. Where you're, Bless you. Where you're like, holy shit, like, what the fuck is that? And also, it's like this weird animatronic dummy. And uh, this is probably one of the most famous, like, images from this movie is that, like, dummy with its head cracked in half. 
But it's also yeah. like, I love that we got to bring that up to Troy of like, do you know, it? does this have a reason? And I love how he's like, no, nah, not really. It's just really cool looking. <laughs> it's like, thank you, because yeah. it is cool looking. Because then all of a sudden, Killer comes out of the side that you're not even paying attention to anymore. Yeah, it is cool looking. Honestly, that'll probably be the picture for this episode is that classic shot of it laying there cracked. Yeah. But yeah, the Killer, like, after you're like, oh, is this a toy? Jumps out and... He is stabbed onto his desk. So, like, is it through his throat or face? I don't remember. Oh, this is where it's, like, the corner... I don't think it's the desk. I think it's a fireplace mantle. Where Okay, onto the surface. Yeah, yeah, but it's, like, this corner like that, and his mouth keeps getting slammed into it, which freaks me out, kind of, because that's not killing him, but that's, like, breaking your teeth. That's fucking up your jaw. That fucking hurts, you know? Yeah, your whole mandible's, like, just destroyed. Yeah. But, and then it shows him stabbed to a fireplace or a desk or something. The, yeah, he gets, I think he gets thrown down on the desk at that point. And is he the one that gets the knife, like, through the neck and it pins him to it? Yeah. Yeah, it's so, and it's a fucking awesome knife. Immediately, I think of Gabriel from Malignant again, because it's black gloves and a cool knife. I'm like, yay, Malignant. Even though this is... <laughs> The Excellence Knife. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure you noticed when I was sending you pictures the other day, I was watching that again. Oh, yeah. I'll, Malignant is infinitely watch, like rewatchable. Like, I want to get a poster for it's my... one of my room. comfort movies now. Yeah. It, it's just one of my comfort movies. He's talking through the radio! <laughs> <laughs> but... Mark gets a feeling, goes back to the house, and he notices the missing window in one of the pictures he's looking at of the old pictures of the house, there's a window missing. So he climbs up the roof, pickaxes through the roof, and then nearly falls down for about three and a half minutes. Yeah, this is what I was talking about earlier when he demolishes this house with his own body. Because, number one, he's not graceful whatsoever. This entire no. movie is making it very evident that Marcus is not graceful and he should not be the one doing this. But he, like somehow climbs up there, has the shittiest tiny pickaxe that he finally gets a hole through the wall. Um, like, the uh, ledge he's standing on gives way, so he breaks that, he broke the wall, he falls down and, like, hits the drain pipe, that breaks away. <laughs> Dude, Ed Goblin's just jamming the whole time while this is going on. And, but it's like a very, it's like a slow fall, because he keeps, like, half-catching himself. But then he falls more and breaks something else. And then, like you said, the entire time, it's like... It's like just non-stop Goblin. It's great. Oh, I guess we should say, if we keep talking about Goblin, it's who did the music for this. That's what we're referencing. Yeah, which I will still, like, constantly, the theme song to Deep Red is played in my car driving around. It's on my daily playlist, just because I love that organ solo, and it's such a fucking badass song. Yeah. And then he decides, after nearly nearly falling to his doom, hey, I should probably just do this from the inside. Yeah, why are you climbing? And also, this is done <laughs> at, like, the middle of the night, and the guy that takes care of this house is, like, across the street. How is he no, not... No, I think, I think he was a little distance away, because he had to drive, remember? Oh, that's right. But um, why is he not waking up any neighbor that might be within, like, a hundred feet? Yeah, it's a well-populated area. Or is it just the neighbors looking out the window like, oh, someone's trying to break into the haunted house again? He goes inside and pickaxes through a wall, and we see a dead, rotting body through that wall. Oh, I love where, like, he's panning around with a flashlight, and, like, you see the Christmas tree. So it's like, okay, this is the room from that very first scene, and what, like, the what the picture is and everything. Then you see the body, and it's fucking, it's an yeah. awesome-looking, like, prop. It's just, like, all green and shrunken and gross and really cool looking. It's, like, covered in, like, spider webs. Yeah. And he goes inside, and he's about to, like, open it up, I guess, to go in there, and he's knocked out by an unseen figure. Yes, and this is he where he wakes up, and uh, Gianni or Gianna? Gianna. Gianna, uh has like saved him from the house and I love where they like look over to the house and it's an obvious like weird 
I don't know how they did this shot. It's like a frame on frame type thing of like we have a frame of fire and we lay it on top of a picture of the house. Yeah. Because it doesn't look right. <laughs> I don't think it was bad there to be honest. It didn't take me out of it or anything though. No. Luckily it was like a second. And so but it's just enough for me to go like, huh. <laughs> yeah. They're at the house seller's house and he sees Olga, the little girl's drawing is just like the one in the house. And she says she saw it in an old records book at the old school. And so that's where our detectives are going next. Mark and Gianna break into the school and they're going through some records. And Gianna says, I'm going to call the police and tell them that we're here. What? You broke into the old school? Yeah, let's just call the police and let them know. I love, they're just constantly breaking and entering into all these different places. Like, he broke and entered into that house and destroyed it. Uh, now they're breaking into this old school. And like you said, like they're like, we're going to call the cops and let them know that we're here. And it's like, it's still going to take them probably two hours to get to you. They're so bad. Yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, Mark does find the picture, so he knows exactly who's doing this. And Gianna's gone, he's walking around, he finds her, and she's been stabbed. And dun-dun-dun, it's revealed that Carlo is our killer. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for now. For now, we, for now, we are like, oh yeah, it must be him. Don't remember that scene at the very beginning where he left Marcus's side 20 seconds before... Marcus saw the killer three stories up. <laughs> See, it was smart, though, because at that time, Carlo was such a nothing character at the very beginning that I didn't even I wasn't even thinking about any of that. Exactly. Uh, we have this very much like the Wesley Snipes meme where he's pointing the gun crying. Uh, Carlo has tears in his eyes holding the gun up to Mark like, I didn't want to do this. And the police show up. Carlo runs. And this is uh -huh. wild. Look, it's completely like ex machina, like whatever it's called, like where you didn't do anything to take down the bad guy is just circumstance. I don't care. This is awesome. I he gets it. hooked by a garbage truck. <laughs> it should not have a hook like that just hanging off the back, but whatever. And he's slammed into curbs over and over again, like swung around the street. Like half of his skin has to be like burned off his back. And then he's run over by a car with an awesome effect. This scene is awesome. Like this like turns up to 11 for a minute here. Oh yeah. I love that the truck drivers finally see that they're towing a body and stop to like help him. And a car comes out of nowhere and it even gives Carlos and uh, Carlo enough uh, time to kind of look over while his head gets squashed, Toxic Avenger style. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It did remind me of Toxie, to be honest, that with the kid. But as soon as that head squashed, I remember that this was coming. And as soon as it happened, I was just like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mark is outside the hospital where Gianna is. She's not dead. Realizes it couldn't be Carlo, though. He says out loud, wait, it couldn't be Carlo, because like you said, I saw him right there. He breaks back into Helga's apartment, the original crime scene, and it was never a missing painting, Brett. No. It was a mirror. Yes. It was the mirror that did it. Arrest that mirror. <laughs> like, the cops, like, take it out in handcuffs. Marcus is like, no! <laughs> God damn it! I saw them in the mirror. Well, we're gonna go inside this mirror and get them! Why did she take the mirror? She didn't take the mirror. Oh, that's why he thought it was a painting. Okay, yeah, that's Yeah, because right. she was standing... In the mirror, so it looked like she was a painting, but yeah, that's what it was. So that at the very beginning, he's like, "Did you guys take anything out of this apartment?" And the cops was like, "We would never do that." He's like, "Just something's <laughs> different." Carlo's mother was revealed to be the killer, and Carlo was trying to cover for her. He was like, I guess, willing to take the fall. We have a flashback to the opening Christmas time murder, and it's her. And then we get this fight, which is oddly more. Difficult for Mark than I thought it would be, but like I think he's gonna die to be honest if she doesn't make the foolish mistake of getting the necklace stuck in like the little old yeah. school elevator, like the kind with bars and stuff, not just sliding doors. And we get this awesome thing. So she's leaned up against the elevator, like I said, the old school bar kind. Her necklace gets caught as it's raising up, so the chain pulls into her throat, and she's decapitated by her her own necklace. It's really cool looking. Yeah, I love that shot when it like digs into her neck and all the neon blood comes out, but it just looks so fucking awesome. 
Oh yeah, but it's cool. I love the um it get it gives some good background actually for being a Italian horror movie that many times is more dreamlike than actually based in reality. This one at least it sets up where Carlo's mother was an actress and she fawns over that time, but uh her husband made her give it up. So you can kind of see like she probably resents him for that. When they're arguing in the kitchen, he's talking about sending her back to the hospital. And she's like, I'm not going back to any hospital. And that's, of course, when we get the stabby stabs. <laughs> Dude, I had no issue with any of the reveal in this one. Because remember my big being angry at opera yeah. was... I'll keep a spoiler free for if anyone hasn't seen opera. But our killer showed up for one scene at the beginning and was never mentioned again until the reveal. And then I felt like that was cheap and not, like, a good reveal. Yeah. This one kept our killer in the story occasionally every now and then. Even laid groundwork for she's fake and that she's not all there and stuff like that. I think it was great. I liked it a lot, actually. Yeah, and, like, I like that she shows up a couple different times in the movie. So does Carlo. It's not like Carlo yeah. shows up at the very first scene and then randomly shows up in the school trying to kill him. Yeah, I, I thought it was great. Yeah. yeah that's the movie, though. Yeah, holy shit. It ends with a decapitation. Which, you know what that, um... Yeah, right after it. That, uh... And then it kicks into... I can't do it. I just want to rock out to it immediately. Like, every time this movie <laughs> goes off and the credits start, and that theme starts, my TV goes up, like, 30 levels. Because I'm just like, Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> You ready for the end of stuff? Yeah, let's get into it. Alright, so we're going to start with the Count of the Dead. It's your first episode joining us, the Throgging with Horror Count of the Dead, where we tally up all the deaths in the movie. We add to our grand total of all the movies we've done. Last episode, we did Hatchet 2, which left us with a Count of the Dead of 1,012. Where do you think Deep Red brought us? Uh, let me think. I'm going to say 5. You going to go 5? I'm going to go 5. Final answer? Yes. I tried giving you an out. You missed it by it one. Six? Six. Damn it. Yep. I was going to say I, my originally five came in my mind. And then I go, and then I immediately went six because I always do that. Then I went, no, because you always miss it by one. <laughs> yeah, it brings us to a count of the dead of 1,018. Very nice. Well, every week Greg does his count of the dead. Ah, ah, ah. And I do my ratings from Dimension Z. <laughs> um, so basically I take um, something from the movie and I rate the movie 1 through 10 for that thing 1 being the worst and 10 being the best now, I don't come up with what that thing is until right now and I'm trying to think for Deep Red Profondo Rosa what would be amazing I almost want to do like head squashes there's decapitations in this movie that are awesome you could do dolls um, not as much food in this movie that I could, uh, pick from. Honestly, I don't think any. No, I don't think there was a, a single bit of food. Because if I, if nope. there was, I would rate it that much food. <laughs> I'm gonna go with, let's go Decapitations. Okay. Because I love how it ends, and I love that the old lady at the very end gets decapitated, and that's how she's brought to justice. <laughs> yeah, um, she should be. A number one decapitation. It's like back in the old days when they used to kill people with guillotines, but the guillotine isn't exactly like sharp. So it comes down and like boings off the person and they live. Okay. <laughs> and a number, what's a great number 10 decap? Like the perfect decapitation. Oh, um, you go to see Alice Cooper live. And oh, he yeah. gets to the part in the show that he still does to this day. I saw him a few years ago, and he still does it. Alice Cooper gets decapitated live on stage, and then his head is paraded around. Oh, yeah. He kills himself like ten times a show. I, he did it when I saw him, too. It's so awesome. Um, okay, so Alice Cooper's a ten. I'm going to give Deep Red a perfect ten out of ten for me. I have an amazing time every time I watch this movie. It's a great whodunit, even when you know whodunit. And the fucking... I mean, I'm not going to argue. The soundtrack is possibly my favorite movie soundtrack of out of any movie. Man, 
I feel bad I didn't give it a 10, but I'll tell you, I came very, very close. I gave it a 9 decapitations out of 10. I can't, I can't argue with that whatsoever, because I, I figured, I didn't think you'd give it a 10, but I thought that you would like this one. Yeah, I like Deep Red a lot, so I'm glad that we did that. Yeah, but yeah, 9, that's nothing to be upset about. Very high scores from both. It was a great time. You should watch it if you ever get a chance. Oh yeah, watch it and watch it multiple times. And go buy the Arrow Blu-ray and listen to Troy talk about it even more. <laughs> yeah. Which that is on my, like, I have a list in my head of movies I'm on the lookout for. That has now entered the list because I want to hear Troy's uh, commentary. <laughs> oh yeah, I found it in the wild. Um, I, I sent you a picture of it. Yeah. Alright, so should we tell him about next week? Yes, what are we doing next week, Greg? I am so excited for next week. Look to your calendars, people. Oh, let me next see. Next Friday is Friday the 13th. Oh, shit. Don't go camping. Stay inside. Listen to us talk about movies. Yeah, and to celebrate Friday the 13th, we are doing a double feature. Yes, which is, I mean, we love Friday the 13th so much, and it's been so long since we've gotten to talk about one of these movies that I'm extremely excited, and we have to make it special. Yeah, so we're doing Friday the 13th and Friday the 13th, so 1980 and 2009. Yes, which I think will be a lot of fun back-to-back to, like, talk about both of these movies and just see how different they are. But both movies I oh, like. Because it's the beginning and the end. It's the first one released and the last one released, so it'll be a fun time. <laughs> oh, there'll, be, there'll be one soon. It's been so long. I know. But yeah, so join us next Friday the 13th for a really cool double feature. It'll be two separate episodes, so don't worry if you only have time for one saving the other one. It'll be... Just two episodes dropping the same day. Yes, uh, I'm extremely excited to celebrate Friday the 13th again. Yeah. And that's all I got, man. Yeah, that's all I got. So uh, we hope that Deep Red Profondo Rosa has left your brain throbbing with horror. Ah, it seems you've survived another fright. Be sure to look for the Throbbing with Horror pumpkin on all of your favorite social medias and local newspaper headlines. Rate us five stars on your favorite podcast platform, or else. Subscribe for more tantalizing terror, and be ready for the new fear next week, if you dare.